the cold bit deeper as they left the woods and climbed above the canopy to the caves of Mount Amana. Tomek's knees felt stiffer the higher they climbed. Whenever he was grabbing onto a stone to pull himself up, he cupped his hands over his face, trying to hold on to the warmth of his own breath for as long as it would linger. It never lasted for more than a second or two. Every breath was doomed to turn into puffs of ice. There was a breathtaking view of the woods up where they were, but it was impossible to look at for very long. Snow was blowing so hard into Tomek's eyes that he found it best to keep his gaze on the ground, following Mari's tracks up the path. How much farther? he asked. It's only a little more, she said. Ready to give up already, son of Gennady. Tomek didn't answer. For once, he could make her swallow her words, because there was one thing at which he was better than her or anyone else in the tribe. Climbing. Is that the cave? He pointed at a big one, some two hundred feet above them. That's the one, she said. He looked at the mountain walls, then the path that wound around the steeper edges, and finally at what could be a straight path climb from where he stood to the cave. I'll climb first, he said. I'm the better climber. You know it's true. You want to climb, she said, in this weather? I mean, we don't have to if you're scared, he said, tightening the straps on his leather pouch. No, she said, with a certain finality. We're hiking. It's too slippery to... But Tomek didn't wait for her permission. Why should he? It would just show her that he agreed to her being the leader, and he wasn't about to do that. Besides, he'd been climbing walls since he could walk. He was better at it than any of the other kids his age. He was even better at it than his father, or Mari, for that case. There was no way he'd slip. Since Mari wasn't looking back at him, he wasted no time and began his climb up the wall. Though the stone was rough and cold, his hands were calloused and well-adjusted to this. He looked left grabbed an edge, looked right, placed his foot against a curve in the rock, and in a single motion exploded up two feet higher than he'd been. He swung his left arm out and grabbed hold of the edges of a crevice in the wall, stabilizing himself. All the while, Mari was still moving swiftly along the path. She'll learn to respect me, he told himself. When she decides to look back and realizes I'm near the cave while she's still on the path hiking, she'll feel like a fool. He looked up for his next move, a small leap from where he was to the left, then another straight up. He prepared himself and planted his toes, then took a breath and pushed off, shooting upward. He grabbed a hole of a small hole in the wall with both hands, then repositioned his feet one on each edge to the left and right. Only, there was a problem. The edge to the right was covered in black ice, and his foot was barely able to grip. Unless he wanted to backtrack, he would have to make his next move entirely with his arms. He could see Mari. She would soon reach the turning point in the hiking path and come back in the opposite direction. 
If he didn't move faster, he might end up the fool. He couldn't do that, couldn't give her another reason to look down on him. It's fine, he said to himself. I've got this. He reached deep within and launched upward, reaching his hands to grab the ledge. One hand landed, but the other didn't, and he felt the gravity of his mistake as the hand that did manage to grip began to slip under his weight. His feet searched for a surface to push against, but everything was ice. His hands did a little more, and his body swung just enough for him to catch sight of Mari, turning the corner and heading back in the other direction. She was going to pass him. He looked down. If he let go, it was a fifteen-foot drop. Not a great idea, but his fingers were losing grip anyway. That's when he saw it. A small root sticking out of the ice to his right, just a few feet from his ankle. He could feel it. If he waited two more seconds, he was going to fall. So without time for a plan, he swung his body right and used what little grip he had left to pull and gain the tiniest amount of momentum. Then he let go and flew toward the root. His right foot knew where it needed to land. His eyes spotted a couple of edges to grab onto and his hands stretched out. His foot met the mark and he felt his weight bear down on the root. His hands caught the edges and gripped tightly. Only the root snapped. Suddenly the weight was too much for his hands, and they slipped off the edges. His vision went white as his stomach leapt to his throat, and his heart skipped a beat. His body began to fall. Ha! cried Mari, reaching out and catching him by the shirt. She yanked him up and pulled him back a couple of feet from the edge, then let him go. Tomek lay on his back, his heart beating so fast his breath couldn't keep up. Staring up at the sky, he saw her standing over him, hands on her knees. She was going to tell him he was an immature, irresponsible child. She'd tell him how this was exactly the reason he wasn't ready to lead, and worst of all, She'd point out how he would have fallen if it wasn't for her. I didn't need your help, he said, out of breath. I was only just... Shh, she said, with her finger to her lips and concern in her eyes. Something's wrong. She pointed up the path and took out her knife as she looked toward the cave. What, said Tomek. He gripped his own knife and started to look around in all directions. Mari lifted a fist and tapped it twice on the back of her neck, a sign the warriors used to tell those behind them to be on the lookout for Kurzit. Tomek's eyes shot straight to the trees. Kurzit hid best among the bushes and clusters of trees where their hide and the spikes on their backs camouflaged them, making it easy for them to attack unsuspecting prey. Slowly they inched their way up the path toward the cave, hunched and on guard. Up the path, Tomek could see a small fire burning and the silhouette of a child next to it. He couldn't wait to sit next to the warmth. His lips were chapped and his lashes covered in frost. His limbs were stiff and trembling. What makes you think there's Kurzit around, he asked. She pointed her knife at an object some fifty feet ahead of them. It was a knife like the one they had. 
Anton's, she said. And look at the snow. Sure enough, there were all sorts of footprints marking the area. I can smell them, she said, wrinkling her nose. Jana's alone in the cave. How do you... If Anton fought them here, it's because he was drawing them away from her, Mari said. He wouldn't leave her otherwise. Come on, we need to get up there, but we need to do so quietly. Mama! A little girl with big brown eyes and a head full of messy brown hair came running down the path. Mama! cried Jana loudly. Mari ran to meet her daughter, taking the child into her arms. Jana! Where's Anton? said Mari, her eyes darting all around her. He saw Curset, said the little one, told me to stay in the cave, said he'd be back, but, Mama, he hasn't come back. Mari nodded, then shot a concerned look at Tomek. Take Yana back to the cave, she said. No, said Yana, what about you? I'm not leaving, little one, said Mari. I'll keep watch out here. If those damned curset are around, I'll be ready. I can help, said Tomek, lifting his knife. I can fight the... You can help by keeping her safe, Tomek. Mari was not to be challenged when she took this tone. He knew it. Begrudgingly, he took Yana by the hand and walked her back up the path. Hey, Mari said. Tomek and Yana looked back at Mari. Keep her safe. Yana wore a big, toothy smile as she stared up at Tomek. He took one look at her, and that was all it took to annoy him. What, he said. Nothing, she giggled. Then stop staring at me, he said, as they walked up to the fire just inside the cave opening. It's just, she said. I'm glad you two are here. I knew Mama could find you. I told her so. She said she hoped you hadn't gone too far, but I told her she shouldn't worry, cause you're slow, and she's the best tracker in the whole world. Gee, thanks, he said, rubbing his hands together and holding them up to the flame. Anton said there's a lot of curset around here, Yana said, matter-of-factly, then looked over her shoulder at the inside of the cave. I think they like dark places like this because it keeps them safe from the snow. That's dumb, said Tomek. They like the snow, and they hide in the woods, not in caves. Everyone knows that. He looked up at the dancing glow of the fire as it painted the walls with orange and yellow. Not even a year ago, his mother stood before a fire like this, with her Kaliuka in her hand, telling a story to the rest of the village. A story he knew well, the first seer. Did the darkness kill her too? asked Jonna. No, said Tomek, she was sick, but it was something else. Mama said that Lady Tiana could heal people with that. She reached out for the Kalyuka, but Tomek turned his body, shielding Jonna's dirty little hands from touching it. Yes, she healed people, he said. So why didn't she heal herself? I don't, he started, but his voice trailed off as he pulled out the instrument. He'd asked himself that same question for a year now. I don't think that's how it works, he said. 
I think you have to use it to heal other people. Then who heals the seer? asked Yana. No one, Yana. No one heals the seer. That's why she died. No one could help her. Yana lowered her eyes, and Tomek found himself breathing a little harder, sweating a little, despite the cold. That's stupid, said Yana. I bet the guru could have healed her. The guru, said Tomek indignantly. The same guru who spends all his days comfy at the shrine, watching over his font of aura? I think so, said Yana, scratching her head. Is there another one? No, there's only him, said Tomek, turning the Kalyuka in his hand. Only the one guru for the whole land. She nodded, then looked back at the instrument. Do you know how to play it, she asked. Not really, he said. Not well, anyway. Can I try, she said. No, he snapped. It's not a toy. She recoiled just as a gust of wind blew snow into the cave, sapping the fire of its warmth. You play it then, she said. Mama said you're going to be the next seer, so that means you must know how to play that. So play it. Tomek shifted in his seat, then glanced over his shoulder at Mari, who stood outside the cave. I think she's wrong, he said, pulling out his father's knife and holding it side by side with the Kalyuka. I wasn't meant to be the seer. Mama's never wrong, she said. You're the next seer. Seers aren't heroes, he said. Seers don't hunt Kurzit. They don't lead people. They can't even fight. You like to fight, she asked. Because Mama said that. I don't care what your Mama said, Yana, okay? Just stop talking for one second and let me enjoy this fire. Yana looked as if she was ready to strike him down. She had the same fire he'd seen in Mari's eyes, only far less wizened. She told us you were a moody kid, said Yana. Guess she was right. Tomek shot her an icy stare, then put the Kalyuka down on the ground and began to fiddle with the knife, poking the tip of it into a fast-burning log. I have to be a warrior, he said. My dad gave me this knife. He said I have to protect everyone. He was a warrior. This is a warrior's knife. The Kalyuka's nice, but I can't do what my mom did. She knew about medicine and magic, and she knew magic, Yana sat up. Yeah, he said, but don't even ask. She never taught me any of it. If I was really meant to be the next seer, she probably would have taught me a spell or two. So you see, Mari is wrong about me. I'm not the next seer. Yana stared at the Kalyuka on the ground with newfound awe. Can you tell me one of Lady Tiana's stories? she asked, slowly reaching for the instrument. Stories, he said, quickly snatching it back up before she could touch it. I don't feel like telling stories. He looked out at Mari. She was pacing back and forth, knife in her hand, snow flying in from both sides, swirling around her. Tell me one, said Yana, grabbing him by the arm. 
Otherwise, I'm just going to sit here talking and talking and talking and fine, he said, pulling away from her. Just shut your trap already. She cupped her hands over her mouth, but the excitement in her eyes couldn't be hidden. There is one story I liked more than the others, he said. You ever heard the one about the fallen King Solon of Montevera? Tomek, cried Mari. Tomek turned to find the warrior was on her knees. He stood up and ran to her. What happened, he asked, his eyes scanning their surroundings. What's wrong with you? Mari didn't answer. Her shoulders were trembling. Mama, said Yana from the cave. Stay there, Tomek told the little one, unsure of what was wrong with Mari. Take me inside, Tomek, said Mari. Take you, he said. What do you mean, take you? Why can't you just... She shot him one look, and it was enough to shut him up. Black tears dripped down her cheeks. Black as night. Black as death. Mari was the only word he could muster. Words failed him. He'd been here before. Five days ago, to be exact. It was the last night he ever spent with his father before. He had black tears, too. Don't tell her, said Mari. She can't know. You, said Tomek, you caught it? She reached a hand into her neckline and pulled out a small vial she'd been wearing, tied to the end of a leather strap around her neck. Take this, said Mari, grasping Tomek's hand in her own and stuffing the vial into it. She closed his fingers around it and cupped his hand in both of hers as she stared at him through blackened eyes. This is the last of it, she said. Don't you dare give this to me. It's for her. You understand me, boy. But Tomek didn't understand. He just nodded under the weight of her words. Come on, she said, grabbing a hold of his shoulder to help herself stand up. Let's get inside. I want to be with Yana. And if Anton shows up, you do not tell him what I gave you. But why did you give it to me, he asked, looking down at his hand. Don't play dumb, she said. You know what it is. He looked at the small glass vial. There, inside, shining like the sun, swirled a substance that was neither liquid, gas, or solid. Aura, he whispered. She smiled.